12.04 coming to you on a uh, lovely Sunday. You know, my friend, in a couple of weeks, you're going to have to start paying for the outdoor setup so we can do this where the weather is nice under yeah, the sun. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking Coffee, forward to donuts, it. catering. Barbecue. Just letting you know that's how it works. No worries. You're covering it. I'm, I, it's all covered. Okay, you've heard it. You said it's it on the air. Let's, uh, let's do another week, my friend. Here we are as uh, we always start with the injury, uh, injury law show. The number is 416-216-5910. That is your personal number. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to throw a few questions by us. And always the uh, phones are open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell for the next hour. We'd love to uh, hear your questions and concerns and uh, ask Savan anything you'd like. We always start though with the week that was. How was it? It was a busy week, John. Okay. Uh, let me tell you about a phone call that I got. Uh, on Friday, Friday morning, uh, this gentleman, his name is Jim, 54 years old, uh, works as a mechanic, has been working as a mechanic all his life. Uh, he was in a car accident last November, and uh, he, he went to a lawyer uh, after the accident. He was referred to a lawyer, and he had a consult, and the lawyer told him to stay off work. In other words, uh, this wasn't um, predicated on anything medical. He simply told uh, Jim uh, that he should stay off work as long as possible because that's going to be good for his claim. And, of course, what the lawyer means by that is that if you've been working before the accident and can't work after the accident, uh, then obviously you have a substantial income right. loss claim to make. The problem with that, of course, is that the lawyer is not looking out for the best interest uh, of Jim and his family because Jim's going to have to get compensation from somewhere. Right. Now, he's been working all his life as a mechanic. He's making some, uh, you know, so, so, some nice money. And uh, the, the amount of money he's going to be getting from his own insurance company is going, it's, it's, it's not going to be enough to cover his expenses sure. at home. And he's got kids at home, uh, some of which are in university. So, so again, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, uh, you know, lawyers are obligated to obviously work uh, ethically and they're obligated to look out for the best interest of their clients. And it makes me furious when I hear these kinds of situations uh, where, where uh, people who are in a very vulnerable state after they've been in an accident mm-hmm. – uh, who go to lawyers and the lawyers are giving them this kind of advice, which not only is unethical, but, but you know, believe it or not, it's actually not going to help Jim if Jim is off work for, for too long. Because at the end of the day, uh, Jim may end up losing his job. Jim may end up in a situation where he uh, can't pay the mortgage. And, and, you know, the lawyer is not going to be step, stepping up to the plate. The lawyer is not going to be paying those expenses. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, I, 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 I always tell people that if you're able to go back to work, try at least to go back to work, uh, perhaps on modified duties, perhaps uh, modified hours. Make an effort, and that effort should be documented because then if you're unable to go back to work— At least you tried. You, you tried, right? exactly, yeah. and that's recorded. And, and again, you know, that's, that's part of mitigation, which we're going to talk about on the next show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do you make your case stronger by actually trying to get better? Not only, obviously, for your own medical uh, uh, reasons, but just from a legal standpoint in itself, you have an obligation under the law to try and get better. So very interesting case, and it's not the first time that I've heard lawyers give this bad advice, uh, which is, you know, irrespective of what your medical condition is, irrespective of what your own doctors tell you, uh, just stay home and don't do anything and, and let those losses accumulate. Because when you say, you know, you should, should make an attempt to go back to work to mitigate uh, anything in the future... Most people's knee-jerk reaction would be, well, if I go back to work, obviously I've proven that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to stay off work. That's the wrong way to attack it, right? That's, that's the worst yeah. way to attack right. it. Not only the wrong way, but the worst way. Uh, because really, your claim is the strongest if you show that at the very least you've tried to get back to work right. once, twice, three times perhaps. And again, this is all going to be documented. Now, listen, keep in mind, if you can't go back, especially if it's early on after an accident, 
by all means, stay at home, get better, go to rehab. Yeah. Uh, and I always tell people, talk to your doctor, talk, you know, listen to your body, talk to your family. Uh, if you feel like you're able to try at least and go back to work, then do it. Absolutely do it. You should not be uh, thinking to yourself, well, for the sake of my legal claim, I should just stay at home all day and do nothing. No, that's the wrong way to approach it. And I'll tell you, John, when I, when I used to work for insurance companies, and I would get you know, a lot of these kinds of claims where I would see someone who had been staying at home after working all their life, full-time hours, you know, have been really uh, doing well. And, and you know, months have passed after an accident or perhaps even years. And I got them into a room and I asked them the difficult questions of why is it that, you know, in the past two, three years, you haven't tried once right. to get back to work and they wouldn't know what to say. And believe it or not, a few times they actually said on the record that this is what they were told to do by the lawyer that was representing them. And yep. at that point, I'm looking at the lawyer that's representing them and I'm just shaking my head. And that lawyer knows very well that now this evidence is on record. And now not only is that person not going to be getting that money that the person lost as a result of not working all this time, but the claim has now been undermined completely. Yeah. So very, very dangerous for people to follow that kind of advice. Let's take our first break. You'll want to give us a call. It's been a, a rough winter. Maybe you've been in an accident or a slip and fall. Uh, you need some advice. You're not sure where to go. Give us a call here on the air right until 1 o'clock, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Outside of show hours, any time, Savan's number, write this one down. You'll need it, possibly, hopefully not, but you might. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Just getting started. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Hello, turn on your mics. 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We have uh, wide open phone lines. You want to give us a call? We'd love to hear from you. 870-6400, like you heard, and star 640 hunt. So I want to get to a, you got one more case for week that was, and I want to start asking you about uh, multiple accidents. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's get to that in a sec. Uh, let me tell you about another call that I got. And uh, this gentleman's name is, is Dave. Uh, and he heard our show last time and he called me because his, his wife was involved in a car accident almost two years ago. So, of course, you know, of course, when I hear that two years ago, I'm immediately close. thinking, yeah, the limitation period, you only have two years from the date of the accident to start a claim. Uh, luckily, we still have about a month or so to go. So I'm going to take it over and I'm going to take a look at what I can do. But the reason he called me is because his wife was in that car accident and she developed a chronic pain syndrome. Uh, and effectively what that means is that she has a lot of pain in various parts of her body that are not going away. And her own treating specialist, a chronic pain doctor, diagnosed her with that condition. And that probably means that she's going to be left with it uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, here, here's the issue. She's 45 years old and uh, sh- she was at home. She was mm-hmm. raising the kids, which, you know, of course, as, as most of us, John, know, uh, that's something that uh, makes our wife saints yep. uh, because that's an extremely hard job. And, uh, you know, what happened in that case is that after the accident, they actually went to a few lawyers and those lawyers refused to actually take on the case because in their minds, because she wasn't earning income outside of the household, the claim is not going to be significant enough for them to take it on. And so they've been left with no representation because they, they were under the assumption that she can't get compensation for her injuries. And that's completely wrong. In fact, not only can she get that compensation, but it's going to be significant because they have had to have quite a lot of help from uh, neighbors, from other family members who have been now taking over a lot of the duties that otherwise she was taking care of uh, back then. So she, she has a very, very good case. You know, every case is different on its facts. And this is why it's important that when people call me, 
uh, I, I'm, I'm ascertaining that by asking them a few simple questions. And within a few minutes, I can tell someone if they actually have a case and if they're going to be entitled to compensation. And that case, 100%. Now, back then, two years ago, I would have probably told him, you know, uh, let's wait and see. Let's let's give it a few months to see if she's going to get better mm-hmm. after she gets her physiotherapy, her chiropractic care, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'll tell you, they've lost effectively two years. Now, I'm going to take this claim. Uh, it's going to be really simple to resolve because we're not dealing with a loss of income claim. We're dealing with a claim for pain and suffering, okay. uh, perhaps a claim for family members who have helped around the home. Uh, perhaps future care type of uh, of damages that she may need. So if she needs ongoing treatments going for, uh, uh, um, going into the future, she's going to be entitled to to something for that. So it's definitely a good claim. And and you know the accident wasn't her fault. There's absolutely no reason why she was rejected by all those lawyers. So again, so, uh, it's 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 just a lesson for people out there that you know if one lawyer tells you that you have no claim, it doesn't mean you don't have it. It's just. It's possible that those lawyers have simply missed it. That they're just not seeing the claim for what it is. So in this case, where where on paper she has no no dollar and cents income, is this a case where you you know go into your arsenal and pull out your, your like a forensic accountant to figure out what it would be a compensation package in that in that uh, in that regard? Absolutely. What I would do in this case when I'm dealing with somebody who has been uh, like this lady, you know, at home raising her kids and right. doing things at home. I would be looking at a few heads of compensation, certainly pain and suffering. She's going to be compensated for the fact that now she has these injuries, which are preventing her from doing most of the things she used to do at home. So that's one type of damage, the pain and suffering component. But what about all those treatments she's going to need into the future right. to, to treat her condition? Uh, you know, that's something that we're probably going to be hiring an expert to go into the home to figure out uh, what kind of help she's going to need uh, going forward into the future, what kind of treatments she's going to require, probably send her to a physiatrist, uh, uh, perhaps get a report from her chronic pain doctor to see what they say about the treatments that she's going to need. Then we take that kind of a report, give it to the accountant, and have that accountant cool. crank out the numbers. And again, you can be dealing with a claim like this that's easily over six figures. Come on. It's, it's well. all fact-specific. You have to really look at each case individually. And, and a lot of lawyers, unfortunately, just lump everything together. If, if they're not seeing a broken bone, they're not seeing a tear, they're not seeing a, a brain injury, they're thinking, oh, the claim is small. No, not necessarily. You have to really understand how the law operates and, and the entitled compensation that the person may be uh, um, entitled to. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sell or help at the insurance lawyer. .ca. I want to get into, uh, well, multiple accidents. I mean, this this happens. What if, if you're involved in, in two car accidents instead of just one? I mean, you're wickedly unlucky, but... You're very unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> there's something beyond that, right? Right. And, I've, I've, I, you know, believe it or not, I've actually seen cases where somebody has been involved uh, in five accidents in, in a span of two years. It's like bumper cars. Take it's it like easy. bumper cars, exactly. <laughs> and again, each case is specific. Are we dealing with a case where those two, in those two car accidents, uh, you know, you were not at fault for either. Are we dealing with situations where you're at fault for one but not the other? Right. So again, we have to enter into an analysis of what are the injuries from each accident? What is the aggregate uh, uh, damage that was done to you? Like, are we dealing with a serious serious first accident and not so serious second accident? Uh, You know, were you able to go back to work, for example, after the first accident, but then the second accident creates a situation? Put you over the edge. Exactly. Very, very important to look at these. And, and again, those are nuances 
that if you don't deal with them properly from the outset, it's going to bury your case. Very, very important to uh, to understand that. And it, it, it's funny, you, people have to remember, especially when contacting you, don't wait, just don't don't be shy about it because, you know, and I wasn't injured last year, but I started with a new insurance company on on Wednesday of last year, a certain day, and on Thursday, the next day, my wife crashed the car. Oh I had to phone them less than 24 hours and say, you're not going to believe this, I just joined with you guys, but... Yeah. I'm not scamming you. And they go, yeah, they've been there. They get it. They of understand. Course, like, absolutely. yeah, we've heard it before. I said, it hasn't been 24 hours since I started with you. Right. And they said, no problem. So you really can't shy away from it. No, right? you Just can't. Get on you it. can't. You have to know what your options are. Absolutely. We'll take a, a quick break. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We've got open phone lines. Give us a call if you're in that situation. You've been in one or more accidents and injured this past winter, or the winter we're kind of still in. And uh, in the meantime, Savannah's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, feel free to give us a call here, 1222, on a, an excellent Sunday. Best one we've had probably for about six months. It's good to see, right? Now, we're talking about multiple accidents. Um, you said if you had two car accidents, I'll give you that one. How about this one? You uh, had a slip and fall, and then you got in a car accident. I mean, at that point, you should hire a food tester because your number's up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you have a slip and fall, then you get a car accident. What do you do? Well, what do you do in that case? Uh, you, you give me a call. That's what you do. Again, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of, um, of a convoluted situation because in, in, in cases where you're injured but not in a car accident context, if you get medical attention... Uh, and then you're seeking compensation from whoever caused it. So let's say right. it was a parking lot you slipped on uh, and there was no salt and you're going after the property owner, their insurance company. Well, in those situations, it's very important that you or your lawyer uh, notifies OHIP because OHIP is entitled to get reimbursed for the treatments or for the medical expenses that you've incurred as a result of, of the, uh, the injury. Now, in a hmm. car accident situation, that doesn't happen. So again, there are nuances to these cases. So if you're dealing with a slip and fall, uh, followed by a car accident or vice versa, very, very important to, uh, to, to speak with a lawyer because uh, if, if, if you are going to be uh, trying to settle by yourself, for example, with right. the insurance company for the property owner, yeah. and you don't include OHIP there, OHIP can come back later and ding you for it. So this is very, very serious. You know, if you're thinking you can deal with these kinds of cases on your own, uh, you know, you could be in a situation where, yeah, you think you have all this money you just got from the insurance company, and then you get a call, and it's a very unpleasant call from OHIP's um, subrogation unit, that's what they're called, in Kingston. Uh, so you do not want to be in that situation. So again, I, yeah. very, very important to do these things right. I would never think of including OHIP in that because you wouldn't think about it. Of course it. not. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? No, most people don't even understand. I mean, at the beginning, when I speak with people, especially in slip and fall situations, I have to actually explain that. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Yep. Why is it that if you are getting compensation from the insurance company of the property owner where you fell, why is it that OHIP... Uh, which paid for all your medical uh, right. you know, services. Like let's say you, you, you know, broke your ankle, as an example. Uh, you had surgery. Who's going to pay the doctor? Who's going to pay the hospital? OHIP. Who's OHIP? Us, the taxpayers. Right. right. So OHIP is entitled to get their money back as well. The only exception in the province uh, against that kind of a reimbursement to OHIP mm-hmm. is for car accidents. And in those situations, for whatever reason, that's, that's just the way that the legislation was drafted, uh, OHIP is not entitled to. But again, if you're dealing with multiple accidents, a slip and fall, and a car accident, you have to make sure OHIP is on board, at least with the slip and fall portion of the claim. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. I'll ask you one more question, then bounce over to a, a couple emails that have come in. Um, okay, you're in several accidents, but one of them, one in particular, is very bad. Now what's the difference? 
Well, the difference is now that you have to really make sure that the insurance company for that in that car accident uh, is is responding to you. Very, very important because they're going to be now the target defendant. They're the ones that your lawyer uh, is going to have to really focus on. And, and, you know, it's happened a few times when I was defending insurance companies where I would see the lawyers who were representing people who were injured, uh, who, who would be focusing on my client, right. the insurance company I was representing, when we were really the small fish in, in, in that claim. And all that happened there is that, of course, I would be very resistant to paying out more than our share mm-hmm. uh, because we were that small fish. And, and what happened is that the claim just dragged on and on and on because the lawyer would not understand the really, you know, the apportionment of, of who's paying what is proportional to who caused the, mo- the oh, most wow. damage. Now, that seems almost like common sense, and yes. it is. Uh, but you'd be amazed how many times lawyers just don't get that. And again, you as the injured individual, you have no idea. You know, you're putting your faith in the lawyer you're, that, that you hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have no idea why your claim takes, you know, two, three, four, five, six years to resolve <laughs> when, when really it shouldn't, particularly in situations where the claim is fairly simple. And, and most of these claims are simple. Most of these claims are not difficult to resolve. We do need to give it some time to see how your injuries progress. But once we know, you know, where you're at, once we understand uh, from the medical doctors who are who are uh, treating you, once we understand where you're going to be in the future from them, the prognosis, there's no reason why we can't come to an arrangement with the insurance companies representing the defendants. Emails, questions, comments, that's also an option. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. I got one from Sandra. I'll read this now. Uh, it says, I was badly injured in a slip and fall when I was visiting a friend's condo building uh, last fall. Broke my ankle. I've had uh, surgery. I had two screws and plates put in, and now I'm afraid that I'll have problems with my ankle in the future. I'm three years away from retirement, and I'm not sure I can make it until then. I work as a janitor at a local high school. If I have to retire early, can I still get compensation for my injuries? Absolutely. A hundred percent you can get that. But, you know, again, there are nuances here. So uh, I'm going to give you a different scenario, Sandra. I I have a situation where I'm I'm, um, representing a nurse who who is in a very similar uh, uh, circumstances as you are. She she also has an ankle fracture, pretty bad. And uh, she's now being offered early retirement. And I think she's about two years away from retirement. Now, if she says yes to that and she takes a package, then, of course, down the road, the insurance company representing the owners of the property where yeah. she fell, they're going to take the position, well, wait a second, uh, she, she was offered that early retirement and she took it. She has no future income loss because she had agreed to retire early. Makes sense. Right. Makes complete sense. And she got a package. So it's very important in those situations, if it was not your intention to retire early, but now this accident is causing you to, in fact, consider it and, in fact, accept that early retirement, mm-hmm. To make sure that you communicate with your employer that you are going to accept that early retirement, but it's only because of the injury that you've just suffered, and that otherwise, but for the injury, you would not have actually accepted the uh, early retirement. You would have continued working. Because the compensation you're going to get for the early retirement presumably is going to be less to some extent than what it is that you would get if you had continued working until, let's say, age 65, 66. By the way, most people, as we know, work well beyond age 65 nowadays. Big time. So again, you know, if you have somebody who is uh, in their early 60s and they're offered early retirement and they accept it, uh, even if it's predicated on, on being paid until age 65, perhaps their plans were to work until age 70. You know, we, we, have, we, have, uh, we have a mortgage, we have kids who go to university. I hear, I hear you know, different kinds of stories mm-hmm. out there. 
So very, very important that uh, if you're in a situation where you've been injured, you're being offered early retirement, you're considering accepting it, do you communicate in writing to your employer that if you are to accept it, it's because of this injury? Because the, that employment file is going to be right. produced down the road to the insurance company. They're going to see that note. And the first thing they're going to say is, well, you weren't planning to work anyway, so no future... Uh, you got it, well, exactly. But well. if you have that note in the file, they can't take that position. You've just insulated yourself against that. We'll take a short break. The number is 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Savan's number that he has on him all the time is 416-216-5910. And emails as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Get to a few more of those during the show. Up until uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell is the number to give us a call. And uh, Lynn in Toronto. Hello, Lynn. Good morning. Hello, Lynn. She there? No. Oh, Lynn is in a... Oh, I'll put her on hold for a minute. Anyway, we'll get to Lynn if we clear that up in a sec. Uh, questions about adjusters. want to move on to that. Um, how should you deal with an insurance adjuster after car accident? Because that can be fun. That can be very fun, yeah. Uh, it, well, it, it really depends which adjuster we're dealing with. If we're dealing with the adjuster that's uh, calling you, for example, in a car accident, mm-hmm. uh, an adjuster fr- from your insurance company, right. uh, then they're there to, to help you. Should I mean, be a little friendlier, right? They should be a little friendlier, exactly. I mean, and again, you know, we have to assume here that the insurance company is acting in good faith. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, after a car accident, if you're injured and if there's damage to your car, you're going to be dealing with two adjusters. One is a property damage adjuster for your car, okay. and one is a bodily injury adjuster, okay? Two different people from the same insurance cool. company. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I get questions all the time with respect to both. Uh, you know, sometimes issues arise, for example, what kind of benefits, sh- you know, you should be getting? Uh, and, and, you know, should your car be written off or, or, you know, what happens if there's problems with fixing your car, etc.? So with, with your own insurance company's adjusters, uh, you, you can certainly speak with them. I always tell people, look, it's a good idea to just give us a call ahead of time just so that we can prepare you uh, yep. f- for, for what's going to happen, what kind of questions they're, they're going to ask you. If you're contacted, however, from, um, by, by the adjuster from the insurance company of whoever was at fault, right. you have to be very, very careful. Their job is not to protect you. Their job is to protect their client, their insured. And so they may ask you a whole bunch of questions about the accident. Uh, they may ask to come in and take a statement from you. Don't agree to it. If you do that, and you do that without legal representation, you could be seriously prejudicing your case if, in fact, you do have a case for compensation. So I tell people that if you're contacted by, by, by an adjuster, obviously make sure you understand, you ask questions, who is this adjuster? Who, who are you representing? From which insurance company are you calling? Mm-hmm. And, and if, if it's from the other insurance company, from the person who was responsible, don't speak with them. And, and l- let me just mention this as well, because this happens. Uh, sometimes the insurance company that you have and the insurance company that the other driver has, they're the same insurance company. So now you could potentially be dealing with three adjusters from the same insurance company, right? Uh, Two adjusters from your own and then the one adjuster from the other side. Well, don't assume that because it's the same insurance company that the adjuster who is representing the other driver, that they have your best interest at heart. It's not going to be all warm and snuggly. No, no, yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Don't be warm and snuggly because there's a Chinese wall, as they say, that is put up. That adjuster is representing that driver, not you. So their job is to make sure that you get the least amount of compensation as possible. Should we try this again? Lynn, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Hey, Lynn, what's up? Hi, um, I just have a question, actually, for somebody that I know. Um... The last couple of years, they at work were having some, they were feeling uncomfortable because of 
uh, I guess, the equipment that they're working on at work. And they were told that it wasn't really job-related, but everyone kind of knows that, that the problem didn't really start until they were working on this new equipment. Okay. Um, so WSIB says that they're that it's not work-related, but then they've put the person on modified duties, but they're still working full-time at work. And okay. I guess they're getting paid from WI, but they're um, taken off of that equipment, or like only put on it a couple hours a day. So, okay. and they're in early, like they'll probably be close to early retirement in the early 60s. Right. So if they're thinking about taking early retirement now, and apply for permanent disability. Um, I'm just wondering how that would work exactly. Okay, Lynn. We are a full-time employee, yeah. You know what? This is one of those scenarios where there's a lot of information. I would actually need to get a lot more to understand what's going on because there are a few facets here. And and I'm just going to talk generally about uh, some concepts that your friend should be aware of. Uh, Clearly, if someone is injured during the course of their employment, Uh, and it's as a result of of what they were doing at work, they should be covered by WSIB. If, on the other hand, uh, it's not work-related or they were injured while they were working but by someone on the outside, so someone who was not working themselves at that time, they may have a claim as against that person, and and therefore the insurance company of that person may end up responding to the claim. Mm -hmm. If we're dealing with an early retirement situation then everything I said before only applies really in, in terms of the advice that I, that, that I gave, in terms of what to tell the employer about what it is that you know that they would want to do. Yeah. That mm-hmm. applies in a situation where you have a claim against someone else where there is an insurance company, not WSAB, but another insurance company who may respond to the claim. Oh, okay. But, but I mean, if your friend has, has more specific questions about their situation in terms of how to deal uh, you know, with, with their injuries, if they are in fact injured, I'll be more than happy to speak with them. Again, it won't take me a long time to figure out uh, what, what's going on, and I can, I, you know, I can explain to them their options within, within minutes. Oh, that would be excellent because they're actually asking my advice if I know anybody that they can contact. They do now. By all, by all means, yep. Lynn. I, you know what? Well, just ask them to give me a call uh, first thing Monday morning. We'll, we'll have a chat, and, and I'll explain to them exactly what they can and cannot do. And, and again, you know, it's because of you that they are now going to be fully aware of what it is exactly. that they can do. And, and, you know, John, that's interesting because oftentimes I get calls specifically from family members of injured individuals or friends or colleagues. So it's the not show. the person who's injured, exactly, because they're focused on their injury. And, and so I would tell people out there, if you know someone who is in a bad situation, who is in a very vulnerable state, take the initiative. You know, either you give me a call or have them give me a call. I'm not intimidating. You know, there's no, there's no cost here. Just pick up the phone or even email me. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm just going to put a caveat out there. Uh, if you do email me, you're going to get an email, uh, you know, within a few minutes of, of emailing me. So don't email me at 5 a.m. because you'll get an email back at 5.01. Nice. Uh, I'm but, doing but, that you know, tonight. You, you're you're going to try that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, big time. well, that's, uh, try me. Test me. Uh, but, but, you know, a, again, for people out there, uh, if you know someone who is in that situation, or even if you know someone who is very frustrated with what's going on with their claim and they mm-hmm. don't know what to do, Get a second opinion. I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what, what the options are, and then you can decide what you want to do. Lynn, by the way, that number that uh, Savannah mentioned, your friend uh, can call Monday morning, 
416-216-5910. Again, 416-216-5910. And you can drop them an email. Do it now. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up. Talk Radio, AM 640. 1243, we roll on. 416-216-5910. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You can also give us a call here at the uh, radio station. We're talking about uh, adjusters and insurance adjusters. Question for you. If they ask you to sign authorizations to release your medical uh, and income documents, should you? No. All right, done. Yeah, absolutely not. But let me explain why. And oftentimes, it's the other insurance company, again, for the person who's responsible for the accident, who's asking you for this. As soon as you sign one of those authorizations, that gives them carte blanche to actually go out and get this information. So let's say you do that for your family doctor. Well, then they can write your family doctor, making a copy of that authorization, providing that to the doctor. The doctor has no choice but to provide all of these documents uh, your entire medical file, essentially, to the insurance company. And who knows uh, you know, what's going to be in there, obviously. Uh, do you really want to give all that information to the insurance company so that they can use at will? Well, what about income documentation? You know, If you sign an authorization allowing them to contact CRA, they can request your tax returns going back God knows how many years. You don't want to do that, especially... And you uh, don't have to do that. If you don't have to, exactly. And, and you know, even in the context of a claim, uh, when I'm representing a client and the insurance company or the defense lawyer is asking me for this information, Mm -hmm. they are entitled to certain information, but it's limited. So, for example, a common request from the other side is, I would like to see your client's medical records, uh, let's say, five years before the accident. Now, I typically provide three years before the accident. I take the position that anything beyond that is simply not relevant. In other words, if you want to compare how my client was doing before the accident uh, to the period of time after the accident, then you take a look at the few years before the accident to see if they had any aches and pains, you know, if that's the complaint, uh, you know, to see if they had any complaints about their knee, if in fact the knee is the issue. Again, you do not provide more information than you have to. Uh, Do you have to give that one if they ask for it? Which one? Up to five years. No, you don't. And and, and oftentimes there's a disagreement uh, that, uh, you know, it, it gets resolved because at the end of the day, the, 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 generally speaking, we're talking about a certain period of time, and it depends on each case as well. I mean, if you're dealing with someone who has tremendous back pains and you're seeing that, you know, the person has had back pains before the accident, let's say in, in the two years preceding the accident, and then the accident significantly aggravates mm-hmm. the back, there may be an argument that they may get, you know, that the, the insurance company may be entitled to a little bit more than just the last two years. But okay. again, you're not going to give them carte blanche to go back 10 years, 20 years. It's just not something you need to do, nor should you do. And by doing that, by releasing that information, you're giving them more power right. and control over your claim process. And you don't want to do that. What if the adjuster is not responding to your emails, voicemails? What, uh, what's your recourse? Okay, so if you're dealing, first of all, with your own adjuster, so this is the, the, the person who, from your own insurance company, that should never happen. Uh, what I usually tell people is, let us do it, l- let us deal with, with that adjuster for you. And, and trust me, John, when we write them a letter or an email, they respond back. Because if they don't, we go higher up. We go to the manager, we go to the, to the, you know, the people who really are the ones who have to answer uh, to someone. Now, at the end of the day, if they don't respond, but there is a claim to be made, nope. uh, we keep them on a very tight leash. Uh, we simply tell them, listen, you have until this and this day to respond. Uh, if, for example, we're dealing with, um, if I'm dealing on a slip and fall case with uh, uh, a municipality, as an example, it's a slip and fall, and, and I'm trying to negotiate a settlement for my client, and the adjuster falls off the face of the earth and not responding, 
the next letter that comes from my office is you have, you know, until, let's say, the end of next week to respond back, failing which we're starting a claim. And guess what? When we start the claim, the, 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 the clock starts ticking. They have to respond. And they have to respond because if they don't respond and we start a claim, we can note them in default and get default judgment against them. So again, you have all these uh, uh, tools at your disposal wow. or at our disposal that we can utilize to force them to respond. They can't simply ignore it. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sales, the station number you want to call in. Savan's number as well is 416-216-5910. Anyone want to uh, toss us an email, we'd love it. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got Jonathan from Oshawa, did exactly that, says my sister. Was in a car accident four months ago and was off work until very recently. She got a call a week after the accident from the insurance adjuster for the guy to hit her and asking a bunch of questions and then offering to settle her case for 10000 bucks. She said no, I guess wisely. She just got a letter from them saying that they're closing their file. So didn't get said no. Now they're closing the file. What does that mean? Well, this always makes me laugh when I hear that, that they say that they're closing their file because my response is, I don't care if you throw it in the garbage. It means nothing to me. If my client has a claim then you can just create a new file. It's irrelevant whether they're closing their file or not. Now, uh, timelines are very important, Jonathan. I mean, you, you said that your sister was in a car accident four months ago, so she has still time to start a claim. You got two uh, years, the, right? Got two years, exactly. Although I, I tell people never wait that long no. uh, or, or anywhere near that time frame. Now, she was offered $10,000, which indicates to me that uh, responsibility or liability is not an issue here. Obviously, they're not offering the money unless they're client they're insured was responsible for the accident uh so so you know the question really is why are they offering this money where they're offering this money to you or, or to your sister uh because she has no legal representation they're offering that money because they're thinking that with a quick settlement like that get her off the books they get off the books nice. exactly and as soon as she accepts it and she didn't thank god but as soon as she accepts it signs a release game over. That's it. The claim can be worth, you know, it has a value in the six-figure range or perhaps even more, depending on the facts of the case. Uh, Very, very important before you sign off on these kinds of deals by yourself to get legal advice. If you don't, you're potentially throwing away a ton of money. And this is money that is owed to you under the law. This is money that's potentially owed to your family under the law. Uh, I think, Jonathan, you said that she was... uh, she was off work until very recently, so yep. we don't. Okay, so we don't know at this point if she went back to modified duties or if she went back full time. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Tell her to give me a call again within a few minutes. I'm going to tell her exactly what she what she could potentially be be claiming for and, and potentially end up with. Got another segment. Take it up to one o'clock. You got time for a phone call if you want to throw one at us. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. Help at the insurance lawyer email. And Savan's number anytime outside of show hours as well. 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. Get down to our last few minutes here. You can still give us a, a call if, if you uh, wish to do so. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale. Get to another email, though. Uh, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Jerry from North York. Uh, do you always have to use experts experts in personal injury claims? And when do you decide who to use and when to use them? <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a very loaded question or mm-hmm. set of questions. And, and um, you know, you don't always have to use them, but it's very important to understand when to use them. And again, uh, you know, having done this for, for quite a long time on both sides, uh, both for insurance companies and for injured people, 
you know, I can tell you that a lot of lawyers just don't understand when they should be using experts and when they shouldn't. It's like nunchucks, man. You gotta, you gotta, it's like nun- you gotta know when to use them. <laughs> exactly. And uh, if you know how to use them well, you can catch flies with them, you right, John? That's right. right. Very, very important. And I'll tell you this: you can have a claim uh, that could, uh, you know, that could be worth potentially uh, five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, settle for you know a tenth of that amount yeah. just because you don't have the right experts or any experts for that matter. Now, keep in mind, experts are very expensive to hire. Well, this is why the, the law firm is supposed to be financing that. The law firm, the lawyers you know, are supposed to know exactly who to use, right. when to use. And, you know, to an extent, it's like playing poker. Uh, the, the, more, the more experts and the right experts you have, the more aces you have. And of course, when I'm representing a client, very, very important that I send the message to the other side. Look, I got these top-notch guys. I got the head of this from Sunnybrook. I got the head of that from Mount Sinai Hospital. Because if this thing ever goes before a judge, which, by the way, these cases almost never do. Because it's the, too expensive. It's right? way too expensive yeah. for the insurance companies to take these cases to trial. But you know, if, if I have the right experts, we're maximizing the amount of compensation that the client is going to get. Awesome. And, and frankly... Oftentimes, we're able to get more than what the client is actually supposed to get just because we have all of these experts in our back pocket. Got uh, Andrea in Brampton. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Talk to me, Andrea. Hello. Hi there. How are you, Andrea? Hi, how are you? Good. You have a question for Savan? Go ahead. Yeah, the question is uh, my husband, right? He was in a car accident, right? Right. And he went back to work on light duties, but we are suing. Okay. So I wanted to know um, that... Well, the insurance company that wanted him to do like a like their their test, go see the doctor, yes. uh, to see to do their test. Does he has to do it? Like the insurance that um, the, the other guy's insurance? Yeah, that's my question. Okay, I understand. So, so a claim was started against whoever was responsible for the accident, right? Yeah. And that right. insurance company or their lawyer is asking your husband to go to one of their doctors. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, your husband is going to have to go. But let me ask you a question. Uh, your husband is represented right now by a lawyer? Yes. Okay. Yes, H- has that lawyer sent your husband to 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 his expert or her expert? Uh, um no, not no, I don't think okay, so. so but, let me, uh... Okay, so let me Okay, so so let me this is this is very important for the listeners to understand. Oftentimes, defense lawyers will send you if you're the injured person uh, to their own experts. So so look at what's happening here. If the defense lawyer then has their experts lined up, but your lawyer, your husband's lawyer in this case, uh, Andrea, doesn't have uh, experts, mm-hmm. then then it, it's an uneven fight. Big the time. insurance company now is going to have an advantage. It's extremely important that your husband is sent to an expert that is going to be uh, representing you, really. I mean, that is going to be, I'm not going to say helpful to you, but I'm saying that it's, it's very important to get a second opinion that, that your, your husband's lawyer arranges. Extremely important. If, if, if your lawyer doesn't do that, then, then you are faced with a situation where we really only have one expert opinion, and, and that expert opinion was uh, obtained by the insurance company. This is not a chess uh, match, right? right? Yeah. Right. No, but he um, he already went to a specialist about the injury that he had. Right. And they have it documented. Right. Right. He has it documented because his, our family doctor sent him to a specialist to see about the injury that he had his finger because he can't close his finger because he uses his finger for the job that he does at work because he operates a machine, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so they already said that it won't take about a year or so for the finger to heal. Because because of, t- because of tissue damage, right? Right. right. 
So they want him to go to their doctor, I guess the, the insurance, want to go to their doctor to, you know, to test or to see if what he's saying, what's happening to him, right. is true, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he's going to have to go to the to the doctor. And, and by the way, there is another issue here, John. Sometimes insurance companies sent injured individuals to multiple doctors who are of the same specialty. They can't do that. No kidding. They can't do that. Ah. And it's funny. It's interesting. Uh, I was going to say funny because it's it's humorous to me. How many times lawyers who are representing injured people allow the insurance company to send their clients to these multiple uh, assessments when really under the law they're entitled to one assessment per specialty. Right. I mean, if, if my, my client has psychiatric issues because of the accident, the insurance company is not entitled to have my client assessed by two different psychiatrists. Makes it sense. doesn't work that way. Yeah. But oftentimes they'll do that, again, to reinforce their position. It's, a, it's very, very strategic and it, it's, it's very tactical as well in terms of what experts we retain and when. You got it. Very, very important to, to use the right people at the right time and to make sure that you always have the advantage over the insurance company because they have unlimited resources. Mm-hmm. And they will throw the money out and they will spend the money to do everything that they possibly can to minimize the compensation you're entitled to. We'll take it for another week. Outside of show hours, again, you want to get hold of Savan, easy, 416-216-5910, or email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. He's ready for you. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.